0: Guys, um, I, I said when I returned from Israel um, that I had no desire, no interest, and no intent of, of trying to take some cheap shot at um, Roman Catholicism, or Islam for that matter. Um, but my, my visit to Israel did uh, um, prompt, I think, uh, this two subject series, um, on Roman Catholicism and Islam, and uh, the, the part on Roman Catholicism will be uh, much longer than the part on Islam, but uh, we'll get to that later. Um, in fact, this thing is probably going to be a whole lot longer than I thought it was going to be. Uh, but e- even having said that, um, uh, we have to limit uh, what we talk about here. That is, uh, we, we can't talk about everything. There's so many things that... that, um, that might want to, uh, you know, cause for your attention, or your attention, like uh, the Rosary, or um, uh, the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, or uh, Extreme Unction, or the Assumption of the Virgin Mary. Those things, we, we just don't have time to get to. Like, uh, we don't, we, we won't be covering those items, which I would, I would suggest to you, are are somewhat. Um, um, secondary issues uh, compared to the ones that we are going to take a look at. Uh, we will talk about things like transubstantiation and, and indulgences and, and um, some of the apocryphal books and the infallibility of the pope and all those things. We'll get to those things. But those things are really, um, I think, at, at the heart of the matter. So what that's. But I just want you to know we can't talk about it all. Um, I, I, I'm trying to limit my comments to the critically important, to the to the things that are that are really um, um, substantive, um, and and I don't have we don't have the time nor the interest. I don't think you do either, in going over every facet of the difference between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. I will say this to you though, um, I, I think there are a few Protestants, which that's what we are, and I'm I'm, I'm going to explain that in just a second, but. Um, I think there are few Protestants that realize the nature and the significance of the vast chasm uh, that separates Roman Catholicism from Protestantism. Um, I, I don't think you realize d- just how uh, deep is the divide. Um, I'll, I'll show you how desperate I am. I'm now taking advice from Will um, but, uh Will Savell uh, was here last week, and he wrote me an email on Thursday morning and said how much he had he had enjoyed everything. You know, just kind of kissing up. Um, but uh, he said, uh, "But Doctor Young, I, I, I want to give you a suggestion." And I, again, uh, thus my desperation. Um, uh, he said, I, "I think you would be well advised to to read from Roman Catholic documents." Don't try to um, you know don't try to explain everything, but read from their documents. And I and I thought you know he's really right. And so that's what I'm going to try to do is is uh, read you quotes from. And, and and if you'd like to Google this, you're certainly welcome to. It's called a compendium on the Roman uh, a compendium of the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and I'll read to you. By the way, do you know what a catechism is? Uh, uh, my world has a catechism. The Roman, ca- I mean, the, the uh, Presbyterian world has a catechism. It's arranged like this: it will ask a question. What is the chief end of man? Answer: The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's what a catechism is. Well, um, you can look this one up. It's a compendium. It's a it's a briefer thing, although it's 205 pages um, uh, in in the attachment. So it's it's rather lengthy. But I'm going to try to read to you some of the statements that come from that, and I'll identify those when I do. Because I, I, I want to assure you that I am not uh, trying to take a, te- a cheap shot, nor am I trying to make any of this up. I just want, as I said to you, uh, um, on the basis of Luke chapter 11, verse 33, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm not making your eye unhealthy, thus that your whole soul is full of darkness. Remember that? Oh, that's, that's the thing that kind of, uh, was in my devotions after I got back from Israel, and I thought, you know, we we need to we need to take a look. So that's what we're going to do. Now, guys, um, I also don't know exactly where to start because <laughs> last week when I mentioned the Apostles' Creed and I said the Holy Catholic Church and Catholic, Men- I thought everybody heard that, but when you got a Stacy Wammler, you know, in the in the audience, I, you, you really you really just need to start, you know, really. Because, uh, I mean, it was interesting. How many people said to me, well, I never heard that Holy Catholic Church thing. I never heard that before. Well, uh, that, that was alarming to me uh, in, in a small measure. So I thought, well, you know, what we're going to have to do is I'm going to have to give you, um, first of all, guys, not only have to, but want to try to set this whole thing um, in the, its historical context. Um, because, guys um the doctrines which we're going to discuss really grew out of the event which is called by many the acme of uh, spiritual discovery of biblical Christianity um, the event known as the Protestant Reformation and and I I worry that maybe you don't even you've never even heard of that. so um, forgive me if I if I insult your intelligence, but I'm going to start there. actually, um, much of what we're going to get is we're going to be trying to set these things in the context of uh, of the history out of which they grew, and hopefully that'll keep your interest and um, and it'll it'll inform you as well. So that's kind of where we're, where we're doing this thing. And um, uh, gang, uh, uh, let's see, uh, never works the first time. Um, look at there, um, fifteen seventeen. Now that's a date. <laughs> you know, like 1987, 1517 is is pretty a critical moment in the life of the Christian church. It's when a an Augustinian German monk by the name of Martin Luther uh nailed 95 theses. 95 theses. You've heard of that term before on the church door at Wittenberg, Germany. I hope to be able to visit Wittenberg, Germany in February. Um but the the church door in in the city of Wittenberg was kind of the, your basic bulletin board, and when Roman when Martin Luther decided that he had some information that he wanted to share, um, he was by no means trying to uh, rupture the Roman Catholic Church. There was only one Christian church then in 1517, and what he was thinking, well, what he's trying to do is to challenge um, the Roman Catholic Church to a debate. In fact, interestingly, he wrote the 95 theses in Latin. They were nailed up on the church door in Latin to, to communicate that this was to be a, an academic debate, not something that to, it, was, it was not intended for what it became. But that was right around the time that uh, Gutenberg had invented the printing press. And so it, it is said that in a matter of three weeks that his students had taken these 95 theses off the church door in Wittenberg gotten them printed, and had circulated them in the entirety of the nation of Germany. There was no village anywhere that hadn't heard of Luther's 95 Theses challenging the Roman Catholic Church, um, spawned, by the way, um, by something that he thought was a real abuse, the selling of indulgences, and we'll get to that in a, in a, in a little bit later. But as a result, in 17 in 1517, he nailed these things up on the church, in Wittenberg, and and the Protestant Reformation began, um, because then he became a firebrand, he became troubled, there was numerous meetings between this cardinal and this cardinal, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're going to talk about some of that tonight and try to give you some more of that, that history. But guys, basically, the, the, the Protestant Reformation could be summarized over what's known as the five solas. Sola. Like like solo, it simply means alone. The first was sola fides, the second was sola scriptura, and by the way, we're going to look at sola scriptura in this series. But this is what I'll be teaching in in India um, in the second week in India, uh, the second week of February. Sola scriptura. There was sola uh, Christus, sola Grazia. Oh, I left out the R. Gra- gratia. And then sola or soli, Deo Gloria. Those were the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. And, and all these solas mean alone. And you can figure out what these words, I think, mean. Uh, fides, you know, you know what that is. Uh, faith alone. Scripture alone. Christ alone, grace alone, and everything for God's glory alone. That was the essence of the whole Protestant Reformation, guys. Now, um, uh, since the Protestant Reformation, the, the um, uh, people have tried to analyze it, and they came up with this rather cutesy little question. What was the matter of the Protestant Reformation? Now, we ask questions like that. What's the matter with her? You know, what's the matter with him? You know, that we, we say things like that, but that's not what their question means. They weren't asking what was wrong with the Protestant Reformation. They were asking simply, what was the essence? What was the material substance? What was the matter of the, of the Protestant Reformation? And the answer to that, folks, is this doctrine sola fides, uh, faith alone. now' it's, it's often said that the formal cause that the formal cause of the Protestant Reformation was Sola scriptura which has to do with the nature of authority. Where does the Christian or where does the Christian Church derive her authority? And that's a huge issue ladies and gentlemen I'm going to spend 12 90 minute lectures in India, on that subject alone, sola scriptura. You won't get 12 90-minute lectures, I promise you. But uh, um, but this is often called the formal cause, whereas this is called the material cause. The material cause of the rift that exists that exists still does to this day um, between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism. This simply means The essence, the substance, the material cause, the chief issue that gave rise to the split which took place between Protestantism and and Roman Catholicism was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And that's what this is, I mean, that doctrine is is in here, (laughs) I mean, those would be synonyms. Now, guys, um, the first thing that you've got to understand is this is the gospel. Now, now, gang, it's hard to overstate the importance of this when you recognize that you're dealing with the gospel. And the gospel is the story, it's the message that answers how can I be made right before a holy God? How can I, if you want it crudely, how can I escape hell? Um, This is the centerpiece of theological orthodoxy in Protestant or in any, in any, in any of so-called Christendom. Um, it answers, that is the gospel answers, saved from what? Um, uh, it is, I am saved from not bad habits. I'm, I'm, I'm saved not from dysfunctional relationships. I'm saved from hell. And it is the gospel that you all know. You all know this. It is the gospel that answers those very important questions. How can I escape the wrath of a holy God and be reconciled to the God who made me? That's the gospel. And that is all discussed in the doctrine of justification by faith alone, or sola fides, which was and continues to be the material cause the essence of the matter, the substance of the issues. You know, one of the reasons that we're not going to look at things like, um, well, why don't you eat fish on Fridays? Well, because it doesn't matter. What does matter, though, is sola fides. And and I and I might say we're gonna we're gonna look at some sola scriptura in here too, because that is of of rich significance. Um, but guys, Protestantism and Roman Catholicism is deeply divided over the definition of this doctrine, which I'm trying to tell you is the gospel. So we are divided as Protestants from Roman Catholicism, not over secondary matters, not over non-important issues, but over the gospel, the story, the message that allows us to be made right with God. Now, guys, it's almost as important that you know the formal cause, but we're going to have to wait on that and and what this has to do because we've got to figure out from whence cometh our authority. Where, where do we get the information to define that? We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. But for tonight, and maybe two more Wednesday nights, you've got to understand that this is what is, at, is in the crosshairs of the debate, of the, of the difference. This is the material cause. Sola fides. Faith alone. Justification by faith alone. You got that? You got to have that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not here to try and quibble over secondary issues, but I I can assure you that sola fides is no secondary issue. It is is the heart of the matter. It continues to be the heart of the matter um, and will, I guess, forever remain the heart of the matter. Okay, guys. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, which was really launched by this event on October the 31st, uh, All Saints Eve, some of you know about that, Um, the Roman Catholic Church believed that justification is by faith um, through Christ uh, on the basis of grace, Um, the Roman Catholic Church, and by the way, still believe that, that justification is by faith, by grace, and by Christ. Okay. If that is true, why are we still quibbling? If Roman Catholicism believes that justification is by faith, by grace and by, and through Christ. Why are we still quibbling? Why are we still fighting about this? Ladies and gentlemen. The reason that we are Protestants is not because of this side of the equation. The reason that we are Protestants is because of this side of the equation. The Roman Catholic Church would never tell you that justification is by faith alone, by grace alone, or by Christ alone. Gang. The key word is not justification. Christ, grace, the key word is alone. I got to tell this story, and I hope, and I will, I will keep it completely anonymous. No one will ever tell me who will, or no one will ever wrench from me, um, the identity of the person who made this statement to me just last week. And guys, the statement was something like this. It went on, uh, you know, I, I've got a friend, and and um. And we were quibbling over over some differences between you know where I go to church and she goes to church at a Roman Catholic church and 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 I said well do you believe in Jesus and she said well yeah I believe in Jesus and I said well okay I believe in Jesus that's that's all that matters ladies and gentlemen that is not so because of this word alone by Christ alone, by faith, alone. And do you understand that if you then add something, or let's just say you subtract the word alone, and you put something alongside it, do you understand what you have done to what we call the finished work of Christ? Do you see that? Do you see that it's not then finished? Because the ones who must finish it would be us. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you, that is a different gospel. We sing a song um, in Protestantism and it goes like this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Do you believe that? Because that is a statement of sola fides. But it's not something that is consistent with Roman Catholic doctrine. I'm going to read it to you. This comes from the Council of Trent. This is in session 6, Canticle 12. Now, brethren please listen, engage, gird up the loins of your mind. I am quoting. Are you ready? This is a quote. Did you get that? There's a little bit of wooden language in here, like the word "Seth" s a i t h instead of "says." So I'm gonna I'm gonna change those words, but I'm I'm just I mean this was written in um, uh, the 1600s. I'm just that's all I'm changing. But you can come see the quote if you if you'd like. If anyone says that justifying faith. Is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sin for Christ's sake alone, or that this confidence alone is that whereby, is that whereby we are justified. Let him be anathema. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to read it again. If anyone says that justifying faith is nothing else but confidence in the divine mercy which remits sin for Christ alone, who says that? (laughs) That would be us. If you say that, according to the Council of Trent, session 6, canticle 12, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed. I'll read you the last half. It, it, it's just really a real a, a, a restatement. or that this confidence alone that is in Christ's uh, in Christ alone, or that this confidence alone is that whereby we are justified. Let them be anathema. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here to try and inform you of certain things that are different. But I want you to know that if you believe in the doctrine of justification by faith alone, you presently reside under the anathema of the Council of Trent, which is the official Roman Catholic position on all things, but including the doctrine of justification by faith. The the fundamental distinction, ladies and gentlemen, has to do with this word sola. Faith alone. I said to you that the Roman Catholic Church believes in faith. They believe in Christ. They believe in grace, but they do not believe in faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. According to their official documents, um, I will say that this, this, um, this um, by faith, by Christ. Through grace was was the position that was pounded out in the what would that be the fourth century maybe the fifth century I'm, I'm forget my notes but um, when the Roman Catholic Church was in uh, a, a a controversy with Pelagius that's a guy's name it was called Pelagian heresy. Um, uh, Mar- um, Augustine was one of the, the, the chief spokesmen for the church. Um, but in that fight with Pelagius, Pelagius, who, by the way, taught that people can be saved without grace. People can live perfectly. We can, we can have, um, we have within our own power the, the, the ability to uh, need no help from the outside. The Roman Catholic Church denounced that as heresy in the 5th century. Um, So, these ideas, this right here, was established centuries ago, long before the Protestant Reformation occurred. So, again, I'm telling you that it it has been the position of the Roman Catholic Church for centuries. That you need faith. You need Christ and you need grace. Where they would never go is to say that you need Christ alone. Now, let me, let me try to teach you um, in 10 minutes, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll stay with this for several weeks, but because it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, it is the, it is the crux of the matter, as, as I've said. Uh, let, me t- let me try to explain to you what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, ta- taught then and teaches now. The Roman Catholic Church would tell you that faith is a prerequisite. Faith in um, Roman Catholicism does three things it is the initium, it is the fun, uh, fundamentum, uh, fundamentum, and it is the rhodex. Faith is the initium, that is, it initiates justification. It is the fundamentum, it is, the, it is the, um, the foundation of justification. And Rodex is that it is the root of justification. It would tell you that, and she would tell you that grace is also a necessary prerequisite to justification. Uh, and, of course, the Roman Catholic Church affirms the necessity of the atonement. What Rome doesn't believe is that justification is by faith alone, by grace alone, or by Christ alone. It is faith plus works. It is Christ plus merit. It is, oh no, it is Christ, let me put it this way, it's Christ plus me, it's grace plus Merit. These three things are prerequisites of justification, but none of them stand alone. It would be by faith plus works, by Christ and me, and grace plus merit. And if you believe in it's only Christ alone business and by the merits of Christ alone, you're under an anathema. the reformers said no that ain't right and and that's of course launched this whole thing of uh, sola fides, and we'll we'll further define that uh later but um in roman catholicism ladies and gentlemen justification begins with baptism and you know you know i baptize infants and and i i think in fact i heard a Um, an evangelical pastor and I I, I will say that what I do with an infant is a holdover from Roman Catholicism. If you want me to, to, to debate that, you can come to my office and make an appointment and I'll tell you why that's not true. But for Roman Catholicism, justification begins with baptism and baptism is called, by Rome, the instrumental cause of justification. Did you hear me? And this is baptism as a child. It is called the instrumental cause of justification. Here's how um, somebody, I forget who said this, who who, who likened it to a sculpture, a sculptor, building a, um, a, you know, a a statue. He's chiseling away at the thing. And and, um, the material cause would be the stone. Okay, that, that's that's pretty clear, I, I, I think. the the uh, the efficient the efficient cause would be the sculptor the sculptor himself. But the instrumental cause of building this thing would be the chisel. What I'm saying is, when it's, when it, in terms of defining justification, faith is the thing. That is the cause that produces the effect of justification. I, I'm going I'm to give you a term. In fact, I think I'm going to use it Sunday too. But it's called um, X oper operato. You've heard of that before, haven't you? X oper operato. If I can just make it really crude, out of the operation it operates. Uh, That's what ex operato operato means. That is baptism, the the operation, operates. It it, it produces an effect. It is the instrumental cause of justification. Um, The instrument that God uses to bring about justification to a needy sinner is in the first instance, baptism. Um, In baptism, the person receives an inpouring or an infusion of justifying grace. When I am baptized, which is the first of the sacraments in Roman Catholicism, when I am baptized, there is an in-pouring, there is an infusion of justifying grace. Something happens on the inside of me as a result of that, that event. That's what ex, opera, ex oper operato means. That once it is done, something actually is affected on the inside of me. Now, if that person then cooperates with that infused grace and, and ascends to it, then you are in a state of justification. Wherein you remain in that state of justification unless or until... You commit mortal sin. And if you do commit mortal sin, you kill um, the inhabiting grace that was poured into you at baptism. Do you get that? You're all right. I mean, (laughs) you're really not all right because. If you get baptized as an infant, I mean, it's just a matter of time before the mortal happens, you know, at least for this crowd. I mean, I I hang around with a rowdy bunch, you know, and 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 I happen to be kind of rowdy, you know. But it's just a matter of time before that infused grace gets killed by my commission of mortal sin. So you have to be re-justified, but you don't get baptized again. But then there is this second sacrament. Baptism's first. There's seven of them in Roman Catholicism. But there's this second sacrament that is crucial in the Roman Catholic system. Does anybody know what it is? No. Penance. And it is defined, that is, penance is defined by Roman Catholicism as the second plank of justification for those who have made shipwreck of their baptism. Now, I'm going to quote to you from that that uh, that catechism, question 295 and question 297. You can look it up. It's on my computer now. I'll show it to you or you can do it yourself. But it has to do with, I just want to read you. Here's the question. Why did Christ institute the sacrament of penance? Listen. Christ, the physician of our soul and body, instituted these sacraments because the new life that he gives us in the sacraments of Christian initiation, baptism, can be weakened and even lost because of sin. It's Just what I taught you. Therefore, Christ willed that his church should continue his work of healing and salvation by means of this sacrament. You have to get re-justified, not re-baptized, but re-justified by the the, the sacrament of penance. Now, I'll read you one more and we're going to quit for the night and then we'll come back uh, and pick it up here next week. Why is there a sacrament? The question is... Why is there a sacrament of reconciliation after baptism? Now, I know that's not the same word as repentance, but that you could plug it in there, I I think. Why is there a sacrament after baptism? Why is there a sacrament of reconciling me to God after baptism? Listen. Quoting from question number 297. Since the new life of grace received at baptism does not abolish the weakness of human nature, nor the inclination to sin. Amen to that. Um, Christ, that was not in this quote. Let, let me start over. Uh, uh, quote, Since the new life of grace received at baptism does not abolish the weakness of human nature, nor the inclination to sin, comma, Christ instituted this sacrament Penance for the conversion of the baptized who have been separated from him by sin. That's exactly what I've been teaching you, ladies and gentlemen. The instrumental cause is baptism. There is an infusion of grace at that time. But that thing can be killed if I, when, I, um, when I commit mortal sin and when I commit mortal sin, I've got to be re-justified. I don't get re-baptized. I go on to the second plank of, of justification, which is the, which is the sacrament of penance. And, uh, penance is there to re-justify me. And we're going to talk about the nature and the, um, the direction and even the, the substance of penance because I'm, it is, it's, as I think and hope you will see. Let, let me, let me just do this real quick. In our world, we talk about repent or be repentant. In Roman Catholicism, the language is do works of penance. Do you see why? Because it's faith plus works, Christ plus me, grace plus merit. The whole nature of penance is something that undercuts and assaults the purity of the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that's where we'll have to come back next week and resume our, our discussions of uh, at that point. Let me um, let me close this with prayer. Our Father, um, give us clarity of thought and where we're wrong. Would you expose that in all of its ugliness? And would you um, prevent us from any kind of haughtiness, or um, or considering ourselves better? Because, oh God, that too is an assault the doctrine of the finished work of Jesus Christ we are who we are because of Christ alone by faith alone and through grace alone so we have no grounds for anything superior but we have everlasting grounds for worship and adoration the Christ who did his work so fully and so completely that we can say all is well with our souls. We pray, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen.